You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. Well, the way that this works, for those of you that are new, is today is the day I go back and recap what happened a little bit more in depth. Um, I'm sitting here hoping that SIS can kind of step up their game and give me some information. I was actually really excited because basically before PFF came out with anything, they had like uh, Trey Lance and Justin Fields stats. I'm like, oh, heck yeah. And then, you know, PFF pretty much brought out all their grades and it's still like five Justin Fields throws is all they have on here. So I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I've never waited for SIS grades to come out. So I don't know when this is going to happen. But the point is, I want to just recap... um, a little bit more detail. And I like going through all the grades as well as all the stats because some people some people really love the grades. Some people hate the grades, but, you know, stats are stats. Although, you know, not 100% accurate probably, but it's context. Allow yourself a little wiggle room in there for error, you know? Did he have six pressures or five pressures? Did he actually really pressure the quarterback on that one? Then I don't know, man. But it's still a general number that's important to know. Also, I am going to try as hard as I possibly can to not use today to trash the Bears. It's going to be hard because as I look at grades, I'm going to see the Bears grades. I'm going to try to save that because we play the Bears this week, and I'm, I'm really going to enjoy shredding them. Let me just, I, I just want to say this one thing real quick, just to give you a preview of what's coming, okay? And believe me, I'm not going to sit here and pretend the, Bear, or the Packers were a good team this week. So far, the only two teams that don't have grades yet are the Seahawks and the Broncos, obviously, because they have not played, at least not for me yet. Everybody else has a grade. The the Packers had the third lowest PFF grade. You know who had the lowest PFF grade? The Bears. They won, but they had the lowest PFF grade. In fact, there were two teams that were flat-out terrible that won, and that is the uh, Bears and the Giants. You could maybe add the Miami Dolphins in here, although it was a 60 overall grade, but still they ranked fairly low. Everybody else from 14th down, they lost. All the teams with bad grades lost, right? Not surprisingly, the Lions lost, the Packers lost, the Cardinals lost. They all played poorly. But man, there is not a worse team that won than the Chicago Bears. On the flip side, just because it's interesting, teams that played well and lost, at least via PFF, 13th ranked, uh, or excuse me, the 11th ranked Cincinnati Bengals. Not surprising why when you factor in all the turnovers, but the fact that it was close with that many turnovers, obviously they were doing something pretty well. They had the 11th highest overall team grade, but the Tennessee Titans actually ranked fourth overall and lost. So just some interesting information. That's all. No big deal. Anyways, before we dig into all that, um, want to cover a couple different things here. First of all, Matt LaFleur did a press conference yesterday. A couple things from the Matt LaFleur press conference. Um, He says, quote, there were a lot of opportunities in that game. He says he was pleased with the players' effort on the field. The problem was the lack of execution. He said our mistakes became critical errors. So he's kind of vague on one hand saying, you know, almost like he, he didn't specifically want to say who he was throwing under the bus, but also 
was trying to pull people from under the bus. For example, later, you know, somebody had asked a question. I don't remember the exact question, but he said, you know, I think you're referring to the wide receivers. And as far as the young wide receivers go, they didn't make a lot of mistakes. So he's like, we, we made a lot of mistakes, but, but not them. Somebody did, but it wasn't them. And, and not them, not that guy. He was actually, you know, Quay was, was quite good. The rookie receivers actually played quite well. But there were a lot of mistakes that somebody made. <laughs> like, just say who it was. Is the offensive line? Are you trying to say offensive line? What are you saying? Was it the tight ends? Was it the veteran receivers? Was it Rodgers? Who, who was it? Running backs? I don't know. Tell me. I know he's not going to. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm curious who exactly he is. Or maybe it's just a matter of everybody kind of made a couple, not just the young receivers. I don't know. But he, he sounded like he really wanted to say it, but couldn't say it. And it was frustrating. So there were too many missed opportunities. Kind of a recurring theme. He said the emphasis going forward is going to be cleaning up the communication errors for the Packers. And, and that makes sense for the offense and the defense. Obviously, the defense stands out the safeties and the way that they played. And, you know, Justin Jefferson really highlighted, and, and if we wanted to take a, a positive from it, really highlighted some of the glaring issues, you know. Uh, the question of preseason comes up, and it, it won't stop. Aaron Rodgers has already said that's not the issue. Matt LaFleur has said that's not the issue. I was reading on Packers.com. They had the, the question asked in the, whatever, the Q&A thing that they do. And uh, who I don't remember, one of the two was answering it. And, He's like, I'm really getting tired of this question. It's so overplayed. We'll get into the grades in a little bit, but just to be clear, guys that didn't play performed really well. I'm not saying all of them, but there were guys that played in the preseason that were terrible and guys that didn't play in the preseason that were awesome. There's no direct correlation there. There just isn't. And again, the Vikings. So, I I mean, you know, there seems to be this thing where it makes sense to me, so it must be. Right? It makes sense. It, it, it just must be that way because it makes sense. I mean, if you practice more, then, then you'll be better. But then you get data that shows that there isn't a correlation at all. But it just it, it won't die because some people look at it and just say, but it must be. So I, I don't know what to do with this. It, it won't die. It won't go away. I guess all we have to do is play all our starters all through the preseason, let guys get injured, come out, flop again. And then maybe people will say, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Or, like most things, maybe it still won't die. I think that I'm, I'm noticing there's a lot of things that it really doesn't matter what the information is. It's just, it's never going to go away. It's like the Packers struggle in week one. Well, no, they, they, they lost last year. They've won the last three, four, five, however many years in a row since. No, they struggle every year. Okay, well, struggle maybe. If you look at, often somebody pointed out, they, like two out of the last three, they didn't score a lot of points. Four, I guess, if you include this one. So that's something, but, you know, still won the game. So I don't know. Whatever. I, I don't know. No sense arguing with anybody because nobody ever has the capacity to change their mind, I guess. But anyways, the, uh, the question of Jair and Justin Jefferson came up. And, and essentially, the, the point of emphasis was, we are a zone defense. It's everything we do. And if we want to change to a man defense, that's something we can do. But that's kind of a horrible thing. <laughs> kind of like going to the grocery store because you want hot dogs so you go get hot dogs and you get buns and you get ketchup and then you go back home and you decide i really want tacos and it's like okay well we have ingredients for hot dogs well we're gonna make tacos okay so you like roll out the bun to try to make it into a tortilla and you sort of like chop up the hot dog and you mix it with like onions and cilantro and then you put it on the on the rolled out bun that you're putting on your flat top grill trying to get a nice i guess crust on it 
You got your fajita seasoning mixed in with your hot dog. And then you use ketchup as like your hot sauce, I guess. Point is, we have the wrong ingredients. And we're just highlighting one thing. That's the, that's the thing. It's, it's, you can't just abandon the Joe B- Barry defense because Justin Jefferson's having a good day because Razul Douglas doesn't know what he's doing and because the safety's had a bad day. So we should throw the entire defense in the garbage and get a whole new defense that runs more man coverage so that we can put Jair on Justin Jefferson most of the time. And the problem is we're completely ignoring the part where we're going to just have a whole bunch of new problems. Maybe we fixed that one problem, but now we have a bunch of new problems. There's a reason that they run the defense that they run. It's not because it sucks. The best defense is man defense, and if we run that, then we win, and the worst defense is zone, and if you play that, then you lose, and we play the losing one. The, the, the point really is they didn't make the wrong decision, they just didn't execute. You know, the, the Rams are seen as like this elite defense and the defensive scheme and all that stuff. And whether they are or not, it doesn't matter. But the point is, some of the best stuff we've seen, they run the zone concepts, right? Vic Fangio is, is running all this zone stuff. Why does it work? Why are they able to shut people down? It's not because they change their scheme to man. It's because they execute the scheme properly. So the point is, they're not going to run away from the problem and say, well, these two guys didn't know how to communicate, so we're going to abandon it. And sorry, Joe, you're going to have to learn a whole new defense that isn't your defense, isn't what you came up learning, isn't, isn't the reason we hired you to come in here and implement this style of defense, which is the right style of defense to take over these styles of offense. In other words, we ran the right defense, but a couple guys didn't execute it properly, so we're going to abandon it and do something new. And, and what I'm saying is, from the coach's perspective, we're not going to run away and say this is, you know, the, the Packers offense looked terrible. Should we get away from this whole Shanahan McVay style offense? They weren't able to execute. Maybe we should look at like what Mike McCarthy's doing in Dallas. Maybe we should change it to what Andy Reid's doing. You know, I don't know exactly what the differences are, but we should be looking at more stuff like that. They scored a bunch of points. Matt LaFleur might not know anything about it, and we didn't draft guys to run an Andy Reid offense. We drafted guys to run a Matt LaFleur offense, but, you know, Andy Reid scores more points. No, the answer is do it right. It works if you do it right. And we have the pieces to do it right. We have an elite level defense. They just need to do their job properly. And then things will not happen like that. Not saying shut down Justin Jefferson, because I don't know if that's ever going to happen this year. But getting gassed shouldn't happen because of miscommunications. And we don't need to run away from it. We don't need to abandon everything that we do because we had a bad day. Guys need to man up and do their job properly, period. Now, I don't know enough about this defense to know exactly what all the consequences are of maybe putting Jair on him a little bit more often. One of the things I saw that was funny was we deliberately put everybody else on, uh, on Justin Jefferson and put um, Jair covering everybody else and he locked down everybody else. No, that wasn't our decision. That was their decision. They ran away from Jair. They put Justin Jefferson on the opposite side of the field as Jair Alexander because they didn't want him over there. And we didn't follow and they saw that as their advantage. Now, I'm sure they can go back and look at things that they could have done differently schematically, and they can figure that out, but, but the solution is not let's abandon the entire defense. It's just not going to happen, and you can kick and scream all you want. It's never going to happen. They're not going to shadow people. And I, I went over this before. This was several years ago, but nobody does. I mean, if you look at the top corners in the NFL, man corners, and I don't even know who that would be in today's NFL. Back in the day, they were like, you know, three, four, you know, Richard Sherman and stuff, these elite man cover corners that actually played a decent amount of man. I mean, they, they, at the top of the list, it would be like 75% of the time they'd be in shadow coverage, like at, at a maximum. In fact, it looks like they don't have this year's shadow coverage make, matrix up yet. 
but they do have last year's up still. And you can see from time to time, I don't think anybody does it every single week. Nobody, not a single team did. Washington never did it. Seattle never did it. Pittsburgh never did it. Some of the teams that did it more often, you have like New England, but it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like 10 games in which there was shadow coverage. And the Packers are one of those teams. They'll do it sometimes for a certain percentage of the time, but nobody does it 100% of the time. Nobody. I mean, it looks like 85% is maybe the max instead of, oh, that's not true. Miami, holy cow. Miami had Xavier 94% of the time, super high. But it's, it's extremely rare. And again, nobody does it 100% of the time. There's not one corner who follows a wide receiver 100% of the time. It never, ever, ever happens. That's not a thing. So just putting that out, I'm not, I'm not trying to say the Packers didn't do anything wrong, but I think it just gets taken way too far. Like you just take Jair, just say, just follow that guy wherever he goes and boom, we win. There's way too much cause and effect. If an offense sees you're doing that, they switch to plan B and they destroy you for doing that. Then you're going to have to back off a little bit. There's always counters to everything. And the, the simple fact that every issue that we saw, or for the most part, what we saw, it wasn't a schematic issue. It was blown coverages. That, to me, it, it, it adds to the, the fact that I look at it and I don't think to myself, gee golly, the scheme was a problem. No, I think the players weren't doing what they're supposed to do. And we all acknowledge that. So I don't know why we can't just <laughs> let that be the thing. Anyways, the quote from Matt LaFleur on it is, if you want to change the structure of your defense, you can certainly do that, which to me is a sarcastic comment. He went on to say, I think situationally it can be done, but you watch the tape. It's not one motion. It's awful, often double motion. You know, I mean, you even think back to, remember when they tried to lock down Devontae and so they put him in man coverage and what, what did we do? We had him motion to one side of the field and then he sprinted back to the other side of the field, forcing the DB to try to go through all the traffic of his own defense. And we, we chucked it out to wide receiver, uh, to uh, Devontae Adams and he got a real easy touchdown. It's simple things like that where it's like, if you're going to follow me around, we're just going to outsmart you. You can't just follow me. It's not going to work. And we would punish people for doing that. That's why nobody did it 100% of the time. In fact, I can find Devontae Adams on here. Um, against Jacksonville, C.J. Henderson, 71% of the time. Darius Slay followed him 60% of the time. And then the only other times was Tampa Bay, Carlton Davis, twice. Once was 50% of the time, once was 65.8% of the time. Those are the only times the entire year that they shadowed Devontae Adams. Three corners all year. And the most was 71% of the time. And he had seven targets, six receptions, and a touchdown. By the way, uh, looking at the Packers, Jair Alexander shadowed Adam Thielen. He had six targets, four receptions, 66 yards, and a touchdown. So it didn't exactly erase Adam Thielen. He did erase Calvin Johnson, though. <laughs> or, excuse me, uh, Calvin Ridley. Calvin Johnson would have been interesting. 86% of the time, four targets, zero receptions. But the Vikings, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know. I don't know what it is about the Vikings. We struggle with the Vikings. Trying to stop their passing attack, even Jair and Thielen, it just, they just find a way. Matt LaFleur said, when two of your best players are your running backs and they have 23 touches total, that's not good enough. So that's an example of the coaches acknowledging that things didn't go well. Now, the interesting question for me isn't whether or not we should have had more of it. The question is, why didn't we? And, and again, I know there's a whole bunch of cause and effect things that are going on and everything, but I'm, I'm just curious why. He did blame himself for it. But again, what what does that mean? I mean, he, basically what he's saying is he's the one that was calling the plays. I, I just I guess I'm just confused. You're looking at your call sheet. You're looking at all this stuff. You've got people in your ear that are telling you all these things. They can give you the data. They can give you the information. 
and you're the one saying, nah, let's throw it. Maybe Matt LaFleur is similar in the way that Aaron Rodgers was with Devontae. That is to say, Devontae was Rodgers' crutch. Maybe let Matt LaFleur sees Aaron Rodgers as his crutch. He knows Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's like, you know what? This sucks. Let's see if Aaron Rodgers can dig us out. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand that one. Um, did get some fairly good news on Chris Barnes. Don't really have any specifics, but just that he avoided a major injury and that he could be back in a couple weeks. So fingers crossed on that one, I guess. He says, I think we avoided a significant injury. Uh, that was some good news today. We'll give Quay the week, but we're hopeful he'll be back and ready to roll. So that was the other big thing is Quay. They're hopeful will be back this week, which is fantastic. That doesn't mean he will be, but they're hopeful for it, which is great. Uh, blamed himself for the communication, which is fair. You're the head coach. You kind of have to take blame for everything. Talking about the offensive line, he says, I thought Josh Myers had a pretty solid game, but everybody else, there was some moments of good and some moments of not so good. I, I, I find that interesting. First of all, I had mentioned how he's like pulling people out of the bus. He seemed to very happily throw people under the bus. I also mentioned before that usually PFF and the Packers assessment see eye to eye. This is not one of those times necessarily. Now, the major difference between the two would have to do with understanding the offense, right? Um, You can do the wrong thing and have the right result and get a good grade, but obviously if the Packers go back and watch, they're going to say, what the heck are you doing? Just as an example, Yash Nyman had an 87.5 pass blocking grade, only a 63.6 run blocking grade, but basically everybody had a pretty bad run blocking grade. Um, Rice is the only one that had a slightly decent grade 69.1 overall so based on this yash is kind of the guy that had the premier day i guess runyon also had a really good pass blocking grade but his run blocking grade was really 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 bad not just like average like the rest of the guys it was terrible so good news for josh myers either way um even if we are just largely talking about communication understanding your assignments and everything that's fantastic because that's the biggest concern with josh myers right now just knowing what it is you're supposed to be doing. Um, Kind of a funny comment on Jake Hansen, Matt LaFleur on his decision to start Jake Hansen. He says, Jake's had an outstanding camp, and we just thought he was in the top five at the moment. (laughs) I'm not saying, but it certainly doesn't sound like there's a lot of confidence going forward. There might be, but just the whole, hey, at the time, it seemed like he would have been really good. Sounds like an acknowledgement of, holy cow, that was trash. And, And that is... Certainly something PFF agreed with. Not saying he said that, I'm just saying that's the vibe. As far as special teams, I posted out on Twitter that the Packers out of um, 30 uh, special teams units ranked 29th. And uh, most people kind of took it in stride, but there were a few that were a little bit confused thinking that special teams actually looked really good until a Vikings fan came out and was like, yeah, we almost blocked like three of your punts. So there's that. Matt LaFleur reiterated that. He says, Matt LaFleur says Packers were, quote, definitely way too leaky, unquote, in protecting punter Pat O'Donnell. Vikings almost had a block punt more than once. Quote, you've got to trust your technique. Trust the way you've been trained and not go rogue. I thought that was, uh, there was way too much of that. So special teams still an issue. It almost reminds me of, you know, back in the day, again, talking to Coach Hahn, where he would just look at the tape and say, you're about to have a blocked punt or a blocked field goal right there if you don't fix that. And I think it was the very next week they blocked one of our field goals. That is to say, it felt okay because there was never any disaster, but it's a disaster waiting to happen if it doesn't get cleaned up. Uh, talking about Quay Walker, he says, I think he has a, he has had, nope, I think he has a bright future. 
He just has to continue to learn. He said that uh, Quay had a little bit of a shaky first series, but kind of cleaned it up after that. He says he loves how he flies around the field, and he loves his physicality, and I don't think I could disagree with any of that. Anyways, I also want to get to uh, Aaron Rodgers' press conference yesterday. Um, right out of the gate, he mentioned something that just kind of... and. and um, what is it called? NFL Plus is going to, at 5 o'clock Central Time, give me access to the All-22. So I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is go do that. I'm, I'm thinking about maybe trying to do it live on, um, not that it matters because this is well after I will, would have either done it or not done it, but on Patreon, I'm going to see if I can do a stream or, or possibly Substack. I don't know. But I want to review this stuff. I want to look at it again. But one of the things that sticks out in my mind, because I, I don't know yet, hopefully I'll find out soon enough, is I think there were a lot of opportunities down the field that got missed. And I think the biggest reason it got missed is because the offensive line constantly failed to block. Every single time you look at a play action, by the time Aaron Rodgers gets his eyes up, there's somebody in his face, he's got to drop his eyes, run, and then they got to try to do a scramble drill with a bunch of guys that have no idea how to run a scramble drill with Aaron Rodgers. Anyways, the the question um, was essentially, you know, I know it's an excuse, but uh, do you think that you'll maybe be better next week or whenever your tackles end up coming back. Yeah, it's not an excuse, but I mean, do you kind of say you'll be okay when, when you're back full strength, or I guess how do you do it? That's an excuse, so we don't like to say that. These guys are NFL players. There's expectation, whoever's in there, that they're going to play well. Uh, we had a lot of chances today. You know, I'm not taking anything away from their defense, but we hurt ourselves uh, many times, myself included, I had a lot of opportunities to score more. So I just want to pause. The, the pain in his voice and on his face is of a quarterback that saw guys running open down the field. That's what. That's exactly what we're hearing right now, right? We missed some serious opportunities. Nothing against their defense. They did a great job and everything, but they gave us opportunities. We took opportunities, and and we and he said, you know, I was to blame for some of it. I'm sure he's talking about the offensive line largely, probably the wide receivers, potentially. You know, maybe they went the wrong way. I don't know. But just so we're clear, that's a big part of it. The next question, and I'm not going to play it because it's not really worth it. Um, he had made a point about it's hard to win in the league, especially hard to win when you keep getting in your own way. You know, again, preseason or not, what I watched on Sunday was a lot of teams that looked like they didn't know what they were doing. And teams that are prepared and closer to mid-season form going up against teams that are not prepared and are in not in mid-season form. I think that's what we saw a lot around the NFL. Not everything was the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, 44-23 or whatever that score was, but we still saw things that didn't seem right. You know, Baltimore struggling against the Jets. I know the score kind of was a certain way or whatever, but uh, the Eagles struggling against the Lions. I don't think that's emblematic of, of where we're going to be in mid-season. The Bears and the 49ers both I thought looked terrible, despite Bears fans refusing to acknowledge that. I believe that that was what I watched was two terrible teams trying to outlose each other. And the 49ers had, um, I just looked it up, they had the second most penalties in the NFL in week one, the most penalty yards of any team. So, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of teams with the miscommunications and all that kind of stuff. And when you got a team like the Vikings that they did make some mistakes, but, you know, not nearly as consequential. And I saw Bukowski just posted something on Twitter. Essentially, the Vikings made a mistake. But uh, after Kirk Cousins made his mistake, he looks up and sees a wide-open Justin Jefferson. So both teams were stupid and didn't know what they were doing. 
But lo and behold, doesn't matter because there's a guy screaming wide open. And even though he messed up and there's pressure right in his face, he can launch a ball to a wide open guy. And sure enough, he did. Should have been a sack. And it should have been a highlight of, haha, the Vikings are stupid. But we outstupided them. There's a lot of that. And I don't know when they're going to shake it off. I don't know that it's week two. It might not be. Especially with the young wide receivers and, and young offensive linemen not necessarily knowing what they're doing. There's going to be some growing pains. But by week seven or eight or nine or ten, I'm not saying these are all losses up until then, because obviously that would be a major problem. But until until we see a team that looks like what we've been expecting this whole time, you know, this this pretty good offense and this elite defense, if that's ever going to be a thing, which I'm not sold on, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, it's obviously not going to happen day one. There's no guarantee it happens immediately, as we just saw. I mean, just as an example, I mean, not not that it's a great example, but it's the first thing I looked at. Dallas was the number one scoring offense. They scored 29 points week one. They scored 20 week two. And then after that, it was 41, 36, 44, 35. Right? It, it took them till week three, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it goes. Tampa, they came out and scored 31 week one. They were the second highest scoring, so they had it ready to go right away. Different team. The Bills were the third highest scoring offense. They scored 16 points week one. They figured it out in week two. 35, 43, 40, 38, 31. The Chiefs? 33 points, 35 points to start the season. Different team, ready to go week one. Uh, Another comment he made, again, I won't play it. Uh, It's pretty widely publicized, but for those that haven't heard it, there was one other play that Dobbs, I I haven't heard it since, but during the game, I know Dobbs was getting kind of crucified for it as as another example of young rookies being stupid or whatever. Um, Dobbs essentially cut one way, the ball went the other direction, and I know my reaction was, here we go with the rookies kind of thing, but... Um, Rogers mentioned that he was just throwing it away. It, it wasn't Dobbs doing anything wrong. There was nothing there. So he, he used that sort of a, what looked like a, a bad route from a receiver that I'm sure you could call, uh, could get away with as a quarterback throwing it to where nobody is as a throwaway and, you know, plausible deniability, but worth noting. And again, it's, it's also one of those things, and I'm not saying, uh, PFF dings him for it. I don't know how they grade those kinds of things, but it's another example of where you, you take these things with a grain of salt because, you, you have no idea what the play was, what the intention was, uh, and, and who did what. Um, and so if I were, you know, forget PFF, if I were watching that, I would look at that and say, it, it appears to me Dobbs did something wrong. I don't know what I would do in that situation, but it appears to me he did something wrong, and so he would get dinged for it. And here's Roger saying, nope, he didn't do anything wrong. I was throwing the ball away. Anyways, why don't we take a break, right, Shia? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. If you'd like to support Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, you can find links to that uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter as well as the Facebook group. And don't forget, pristineauction.com. Pairing up once again with the Packernet Podcast. And again, another amazing giveaway. This time they're giving away a replica Vince Lombardi trophy. Trophy is signed by none other than Jordy Nelson. Also has a graphic of Jordy Nelson on it, so that is a heck of a coincidence. It's weird how the universe works sometimes. All you have to do is head over to pristineauction.com, click on register at the top, head over to registration code, type in F-A-V-R-E, that's Favre, as in Brett Favre, and that's it. You are all entered to win, assuming you put all the rest of the information in to get registered. And in addition to being registered to win that amazing prize, you're also going to get $10 off any item that you win, at least the first time. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I checked one last time. SIS and Football Outsiders, and they got nothing. So PFF is it for today. Um, I mentioned already, overall, the Packers had the third lowest grade of any team. The uh, Bears were last, then the Cardinals, then the Packers, then the Lions. So that's kind of how that goes. In terms of things that we actually graded out well on, there was only one category, and that was running the ball. And unfortunately, we tied with the Minnesota Vikings. So the, the only thing that PFF said we did fairly well. We didn't do better than the Vikings did. They were better than us overall. Offensively, passing grade was higher. Pass blocking was slightly higher, believe it or not. Uh, their receiving grade was higher. They tied us with their run game. Their run blocking was higher. Their defense was higher. The run defense was better. Tackling was better. Pass rush was better. Coverage was better. And special teams was better. So just to show that it's not just pure Packer fan bias. Of the four teams in the NFC North that played, one looked good, and it wasn't the Packers. It just also wasn't the Lions or the Bears. <laughs> Vikings actually have the second highest overall PFF grade right now, just behind the Chiefs. So we will see how that pans out. Anyways, overall offensive grades, the only three players had good or better grades. That would be Yash Nyman, 71, A.J. Dillon, 76.7, and Josiah DeGuara, 79.9. Decently high grades, Jawan Winfrey uh, 67.8, Romeo Dobbs 68.2, and then Aaron Jones 68.5. Winfrey only played nine snaps, so it's kind of a limited sample size thing, but it was a pretty mediocre grade either way, so it's not really worth over-scrutinizing that. Four players had bad grades on offense, so kind of 50-60, I'm just kind of calling meh, but 40s, uh, John Runyon 47.6, Christian Watson 45.1, Jake Hansen, 44.1, and Zach Tom, 43.2. And I know there's a lot of guys that are going to be surprising, not Jake Hansen. But Watson and Zach Tom in particular were seen as very good players that had very bad grades. I don't exactly know the situation. It's one of those you have to go back and watch kind of thing. Uh, Watson obviously had like a 29 overall drop grade. So that's obviously going to drop your grade overall. Zach Tom, you can't really glean anything from it unless you go watch it. He gave up one pressure in the game. So there's not really... There's not a lot of stats for a lot of the things that go into the grades. So there's a lot of times differences between stats and grades, and people get upset about that and think that that shouldn't be the case, but it is. Um, Passing, Aaron Rodgers had a 60 overall grade, a 59.5 passing grade. Um, His adjusted completion percentage was 80%, so that's quite solid. 64.7, but there were two drops and some throwaways and stuff. Um, He had one big-time throw, two turnover-worthy plays, which is not a great ratio, obviously. Got the ball out of his hands at 2.58 seconds. Looking at pressure, um, obviously a very big difference. 80.5 overall grade, but a 24.8 
grade when he was under pressure. It was only 28.9% of the time, which isn't necessarily that high. It's not great, but I want to say like 25% is pretty standard for him, so it's slightly above average, but he was just uniquely terrible while under pressure, and we saw that. I mean, refusing to throw the ball away and just nonsense, you know? Um, He was seven targets, two completions, and a pick while under pressure. While kept clean, he was 20 of 27 for 180 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He had one big-time throw, no turnover-worthy plays. Looking at the receivers, just looking at receiving grade, um, our best receivers were A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, and then Jawan Winfrey, which, again, he didn't play all that much, but just goes to show that the receivers themselves did not get necessarily very good grades. Romeo Dobbs, 64-3. Randall Cobb, 62-3. Tunyon, 60.8. Sammy Watkins, 58-1. Aaron Jones, they gave a 56.5 overall receiving grade. Tyler Davis, 54.4, and then Christian Watson, 47.1. And again, he had his 29.9 drop grade, which is kind of a big issue. A couple other little interesting nuggets. Uh, Randall Cobb obviously was primarily in the slot 96.3% of the time. After that, though, it was Josiah DeGuara. 81.8% of his snaps came in the slot. Jawan Winfrey was 77.8% of the time. Um, Of his nine times lining up, seven of those nine were in the slot. And then Tunyon was 50%, Romeo Dobbs 32%, Tyler Davis 25%, Christian Watson 24%, Sammy 17.9%, Dylan 10.5%, Aaron Jones 6.9%. That's percentage of the time of when they were lined up. Yards after the catch per reception, Aaron Jones was top of that list at 12.3%, and then was Christian Watson at 10.5 yards after the catch per reception. Dobbs and Tyler Davis were the lowest at uh, 2 Yards per route run, A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, Robert Tunyon, Jawan Winfrey are again at the top of the list. Yards per route run is a pretty solid metric for wide receivers, so it kind of sucks to see that. Obviously, Christian Watson would have been much higher in a lot of these metrics had he caught that first pass, but since he didn't, his overall yards compared to his routes run is much lower. But he still ended up middle of the pack, 1.17 yards per route run. Uh, average depth of target, shockingly, and you know the, the Hail Mary is part of this that ended up being a really bad decision. Randall Cobb was 17 yards, average depth of target. After that was Christian Watson, then Juwan, then Romeo, then da-da-da-da-da. Surprisingly, Sammy Watkins was actually the lowest not, that wasn't a running back, at one yard, and he was targeted three times. So that's pretty staggering. Uh, even with the drop, Christian Watson still had the longest pass, or the longest reception of the day. It was 25 yards, and he did have uh, a drop. He wasn't the only one. A.J. Dillon also had a drop in the game. Obviously, nobody cares because it wasn't a long pass that would have been a walk-in touchdown on the first play of the game from a rookie that everybody's really excited about. But still, Dylan had a drop. Uh, just because it's kind of interesting, uh, I want to look at some of these guys and who they matched up against when they caught it. Especially, I mean, not going to go through everybody, but just like the rookies and stuff. Um, the three passes that he caught, Romeo Dobbs, two of them came against Patrick Peterson. Two targets, two receptions, 25 yards against Patrick Peterson. And then Harrison Smith, one target, one reception, three yards. He was 0 for 1 against Cam Dantzler. And, uh, oh, he was 1 for 1 for nine yards against Akalib Evans or whatever. So pretty solid for Romeo Dobbs. The only pass he didn't catch was Cam Dantzler. Christian Watson, obviously the drop came against Patrick Peterson. That should not have been. uh, But he caught that 25-yard pass against Jordan Hicks, who was a linebacker. So that was obviously a massive mismatch. But he did is get his other one uh, nine-yard reception against Cam Dantzler, who is probably their best corner on the team. So that's kind of cool. 
Running backs, we already kind of looked at. Um, rushing grade. Neither of them, or Aaron Jones didn't get a, a super great overall grade, um, largely because of his receiving and presumably blocking, but he actually had the highest rushing grade on the team at 77.4. A.J. Dillon was a 70.5. So they both graded out really well as runners specifically. We went over the general stats, yards, yards per attempt, and all that stuff. Yards after contact, though, A.J. Dillon, 3.2 yards after contact. Aaron Jones, 4.4 yards after contact. Uh, A.J. Dillon forced one missed tackle. And Aaron Jones, five attempts only, two missed tackles forced, which is pretty awesome. It's a solid ratio. Um, carries over 10 yards. This And remember, this is an area the Packers really struggled with last year. I'd be curious to go back and look at this and how often this actually happened. But A.J. Dillon had two carries over 10 yards. Aaron Jones had two carries over 10 yards on five attempts. Man, that's painful that we did not run the ball more. That's so crazy. Because again, this is just not something the Packers do very often at all. And to have Aaron Jones do it twice in five attempts, we're talking, what, 40%? Week one last year, zero 10-plus yard runs. Week two last year, Aaron Jones, 17 attempts, zero over 10 yards. The, the whole team had zero. So in the first two weeks, there were zero. We had four in this game with almost no attempts. Week three, Aaron Jones had three on uh, 19 attempts, which is still a smaller ratio. A.J. Dillon had zero. Week four, Jones and Dillon each had 15 attempts. They each had one over 10 yards. So, I mean, again, I'm not going to go through every single week, but um, as far as the ratios go, probably one of the best games that these guys have ever really had on big breakaway runs. Aaron Jones had three in uh, week five. Again, that was 14 attempts. 15-yard carries, Aaron Jones had one. And then we move over to blocking. So let's just go position by position first. Our left tackle was Yash Nyman. Um, 71 overall grade, 87.5 pass blocking grade, which is the most important thing. Highest pass blocking grade on the team. He gave up zero sacks, zero hits, and one hurry. Um, run blocking grade was a 63.6. At left guard, we obviously had two different guys. John Runyon started, um, Zach Tom finished, and they both had really bad grades. 47.6 for John Runyon, 43.2 for Zach Tom, but John Runyon's grade was entirely because of run blocking. And again, I don't know how this works when, you know, you pass block more than you run block and you have an 84.6 pass blocking grade and a 39 run blocking grade and you end up with a terrible grade. But whatever. I'm comfortable just looking at the individual pieces. And the individual pieces say John Runyon is exactly who John Runyon has always been. This is just a bigger version of that. Really, really good pass blocker. Horrific run blocking. Really bad. Zach Tom, again... Go watch it, I guess, but they didn't like either his pass blocking or his run blocking. He did only give up one hurry, but 24 pass blocking reps, six run blocking reps. You're just going to have to go watch, I guess, and see. Josh Myers gave up one pressure on the day out of 61 snaps, 43 pass blocking. Uh, They gave him a 52.8 run blocking grade and a 59.5. Again, Matt LaFleur pointed him out specifically as like the one guy that didn't suck, but you know, whatever. Uh, right guard, Jake Hansen is the guy that I think everybody acknowledges really flopped. Run blocking was 60.8, which is pretty much on par, but 14.4 pass blocking grade. He gave up three hurries and a sack, which is four total pressures. That's um, as many as Josh Myers, Yash Nyman, Zach Tom, and uh, Mercedes Lewis gave up the entire game, throwing Mercedes because he also gave up a pressure. Um, but yeah, when you're giving up 35% of the team's pressures, that that's a problem. 
and I don't know that he's going to be the guy going forward. And regardless of what happened with Zach Tom, um, as far as whether or not they agree that he was he's better or not, I think assuming, well, if, if John Runyon doesn't come back, Zach Tom's going to be the guy there. That's just a thing. If John Runyon does come back, I, I don't think it's impossible. Zach Tom is our new right tackle, at least. Well, we'll see about Elton and those guys. But if they're not back either, which it sounds like they might not be, I don't think it's impossible Zach Tom gets right tackle reps and then we kick Royce back inside. Um, outside of the offensive linemen, the highest run blocking grade, if I put this to a vote and asked a thousand Packer fans who had the highest run blocking grade on the team, exactly zero people would get it right. Romeo Dobbs by a mile had the highest run blocking grade. Um, he did it nine times, so it's not that small of a sample size. It's, I mean, if it's like less than five, you can kind of just, you know, maybe discard it a little bit. But nine times, that's something. 78 overall grade. The next highest was Royce at 69.1, then it drops to 63. So it's just 78, big drop, and then decent drop, and then kind of everybody else. Really bad blocking. Um, not offensive lineman. Sammy Watkins, who's supposed to be very good at it, 52.3. He blocked 13 times, not graded very well. Uh, Robert Tunyon, 40 overall grade. And then Randall Cobb, 36.5. Pass blocking. Not offensive lineman. Uh, AJ Dillon, 80.7 overall grade. Aaron Jones, 73 overall grade. So the running backs were phenomenal. Robert Tunyon, 71.5. Tyler Davis, 65. Mercedes, 58. Um, and that's it for pass blockers. I skipped a couple of the run blockers because they're just right in the middle. Christian Watson, 59. Um, AJ Dillon, 60. Aaron Jones, 60. Jake, you know, whatever. All the way down, just kind of 60s and whatnot. Anyways, finally, let's look at the defense. Um, four guys with 70 or higher overall grades. Only two of them kind of played a significant amount of snaps. Kenny Clark, 70.1 overall grade. Devondre Campbell, 71.2. Kingsley and Igbare, I guess we'll call him now, 71.7 overall grade, but only played 10 snaps. Um, and then Keyshawn Nixon, one snap, 78 overall grade, because it was a great play his one time. Real bad, 40s or lower. Dean Lowry, 45-9. Jonathan Garvin, 43-4. Isaiah McDuffie, 38-5. Darnell Savage, 29-7. Adrian Amos, 28.3. The lowest grade Amos had last year was a 46.4. 46.2 in 2020. 44.6 in 2019. You, you, you getting the trend here? 47.5. Long story short, this is the worst game of Adrian Amos's career, and it's not even close. He doesn't have a single game in the 30s, not one. This game, he had a 28.3, 22.3 tackling grade. He's one of the better tacklers in football, 28.2 coverage grade. By the way, did you see that play, the big play to Justin Jefferson, where he basically just stopped? He stopped chasing. He just It's like he didn't try. I don't understand it. I do not understand that. And believe it or not, despite all the Darnell Savage hate and as bad of games as he's had, he's never had a grade this low, including his game against Baltimore last year. Against Baltimore, he had a 39.3 overall grade, 29.7 in this game. This is by far the worst game Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage has ever played. They played it in the same game. There, I, I, I don't see how that could possibly be a coincidence. Something is wrong. And I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest. There, there's, I'm, I'm annoyed by this because this feels like (laughs) look maybe we'll win 13 games i don't know but 
when you look at what needs to change to be a team that wins a Super Bowl, this. There just seems to be this this energy with the team that's just lacking. And it's not with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he was kind of pouty or whatever, but he played, and he kept playing, and he kept coming back, and it was, what, third quarter when he threw a shot at Z and got up and was smiling at him and getting in his face and everything else? You got Jair Alexander, who's been pouting since the since the uh, captain thing. And then he gets asked about, you know, why weren't you in man coverage? And he's throwing a fit about that. Oh, you have to ask the coach. It's not up to me. He doesn't back up his team. He doesn't say it's not a scheme issue. It's an execution thing. That's on us. We got to do a better job of this, that, and the other communication. No, he throws his coach and the, and the coaches under the bus. Have to ask the coaches about that. Then you got Savage and Amos not showing up. Stokes played like garbage. What's going on with the DBs? Supposed to be the best DB group in football, and they just decided not to show up today, I guess. I don't get it. And again, this is the issue. Yeah, fine, they're, they're going to win a bunch of games during the regular season, but they keep doing this stuff. Games where they just decide, we're just going to completely lay an egg. And Oh, it's just week one, relax. Right, and last year it was just week one, and then it was just after the, po- after the bye week, and it's just the playoffs. I'm tired of the excuses. You can't do this stuff. Look, if you go toe-to-toe and you, you, you give it your best and you lose to the Vikings, that's one thing. But if you go out and lay an egg and just like, oh, shoot, I, I wasn't really ready, we'll, we'll be ready next week, that's BS. I'm tired of it. It's the same thing that happened last year. And again, even if they bounce back and crush the Bears next week, which I fully expect them to do, that's cool and all, but there's still a lingering question of what is it with this team where they seem to struggle in very specific spots? And is that changing? And the answer right now I can tell you is no. It's the same team that isn't really really prepared. While the other teams are getting prepared, they're not. The preparation just doesn't seem to be there. You know, and I, and I went real hard after, uh, what's his name, for, for criticizing Matt LaFleur and not being able to rise to the occasion and beat the big dogs. And from a, from a record perspective, that's the case, right? He, he does a great job against winning teams. Obviously, you can't go 13-3 and three and only beat bad teams. That's impossible. Nobody plays that many bad teams. But there does seem to be something lacking. I mean, you go to the playoffs, you face the best team. And the Packers just don't ever seem to be ready. I don't know what it is about the preparation. There's something that, that he didn't learn in his little, you know, doing his rounds as a coach that involves preparation because something is lacking. And again, it just seems to be whenever they're taking a break. I don't know if he's just too lax on these guys and he lets them just do whatever they want. But it's week one, it's bye weeks, and it's playoffs, which a lot of time there's there's breaks in between there and if there's not an actual break he gives them basically the last week off so they don't play against Detroit and then they get a bye week and then it's two weeks later and these guys come out and it's like they've never played football before I don't get it anyways uh run defense the only guy with a 70 or higher grade was Rashawn Gary I know the initial look said Quay would have a higher than 70 grade he didn't he had a 68.2 close enough I guess uh so nobody was fantastic a couple were decent. That would be Jaron Reed, Quay Walker, Adrian Amos, Kingsley, and Agbar. We'll just mix it up. And Rashawn Gary. Guys that were bad. Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas, Isaiah McDuffie, Dean Lowry. Kenny Clark was dead last. Tackling. Um, Devondre and Jair were in the 40s. Darnell was a 30.1. Preston Smith had a 25.7 tackling grade. Adrian Amos, 22.3. TJ Slayton, 21.2. Pass rush, it was just the Kenny Clark show. 90.6 overall grade. The guy was absolutely phenomenal. The next highest was Rashawn at 69.1. Nobody was abysmal, really. Jaron Reed had the lowest pass rush grade at 52.8. We'll get into the stats in a minute. Finally, coverage grades. Um, Jair, 72.1. Keyshawn Nixon, doesn't really matter. Brazil Douglas, 75.6. Devondre Campbell had the highest coverage grade at 75.9. 
Two were real bad. Take a wild guess who that was. Darnell Savage, 33-5. Adrian Amos, 28.2 coverage grade. Anyways, looking at some of the statistics here as far as pressures go, there were 20 pressures um, total for the team, two sacks. There was one pressure for Jaron Reed on 26 attempts. That is 3.8%, which is pretty terrible. Dean Lowry had three pressures on 17 attempts, which, again, his run defense was not great, but as a pass rusher, that's 17.6%. That's pretty solid. Uh, Then you had Preston Smith, five pressures on 27 attempts, exactly what Rashawn had. They both had five pressures on 27 attempts. Rashawn just added a sack, which is great because that's the thing that he's been lacking, and we're hoping that he can kind of up his sack numbers, and right now he's got one in one day, so he's on track for 17. We'll see how that holds up, but um, five pressures on 27 attempts is 18.5%, which is elite. That's basically, that's what Rashawn had last year. Now, he has to be able to maintain that, but... Right now, Dean, Preston, Rashawn, they're on track for elite seasons. Now, I don't expect that to stay at that level. I mean, a lot of guys have really good days, but it's, it's again, it's all about consistency. Consistency was the full word. But then you get uh, the man of the hour, Kenny Clark, six pressures on 25 attempts and a sack. That is 24% for Kenny Clark. That is some pretty fantastic stuff. Um, there were a few other guys with zero pressures, but none of them really had a lot of attempts. Uh, Kingsley Anikbari, again, he graded out pretty well, mostly as a run defender. He didn't have any pressures, but he only re- rushed the passer three times, which is pretty staggering because I know during the stream, a lot of people were really upset about how much he was on the field. Um, and it certainly felt like I saw 55 out there a lot, but he was out there 10 times and again, only rushed the passer three times. Uh, Devontae Wyatt also had zero pressures, which is not great, but only five attempts. So you'd kind of hope for one, but the average you're looking at for five attempts is somewhere between zero and one. So there you go. Um, Jonathan Garvin, zero on six attempts, TJ Slayton, zero on five attempts, and then Chris Barnes and Darnell Savage were zero on one attempt each. So nobody that had a sizable amount of attempts did a bad job outside of Jaron Reed. Uh, tackles, as we know, Quay Walker was top dog with nine, Devondre they have at seven, and then it drops down to four. Don't really need to look at missed tackles because we kind of cover it with the grades, but, uh, TJ Slayton was 0 for two. So he had a hundred percent missed tackle rate, which obviously is really, really bad. Uh, Preston Smith says he missed two tackles. That's at 40%. And then Savage and Amos were at 33%. Jair, 20, and down, down, down it goes. Lots of guys with zero missed tackles, but obviously people with multiple tackles are the most impressive. That would be Eric Stokes with four tackles and one assist, zero misses. Rashawn Gary, four tackles, one assist. Razul Douglas with four tackles. Dean with uh, two tackles, two assists. And Jaron Reed, three tackles, one assist. Well, Kenny Clark, too, had three tackles. So, Several guys, no missed tackles, but tackling was an issue for several guys on the team. As far as stops, which again, tackle, which is a negative play for the offense. Quay Walker was a top dog with five, which is a pretty sizable number. Rashawn Gary was four, Jaron Reed three, and then uh, kind of down the line, two, 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 one, 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 one. Coverage, um, Quay and Devondre, the linebackers, are actually the most targeted, which is really surprising. I don't know that I've ever really seen that before, but um, five targets, five receptions, 46 yards against Quay Walker. No touchdowns, interceptions, or pass breakups. Devondre Campbell, five targets, three receptions, 18 yards. Um, Amos, four targets, three receptions, 47 yards, and two touchdowns. Again, I don't know if 100% that's his fault, but that's what PFF concluded. Eric Stokes, three targets, three receptions, 49 yards. I know he got crucified um, for his play, but all in all, if three targets, oh, I'm sorry, wrong guy. Three targets, three receptions, 49 yards, which is what I said. I was just reading the wrong one. Um, if that's 
the worst we're going to see from Stokes, I really don't care. I'm not saying he had a good day, but he went up against a premier corner. And what what I want to I want to see what he did actually against. Let's go through this a little bit. So Eric Stokes against Justin Jefferson, one target, one reception, 20 yards. It was against Adam Thielen, two targets, two receptions, 29 yards. Again, not the best ever, but certainly not the worst. Darnell Savage is the one that kind of got cooked the most, supposedly by Justin Jefferson, two targets, two receptions, 85 yards. Um, Quay, interestingly enough, five targets, five receptions, 46 yards, all against different people. Justin Jefferson, 22 yards. Johnny Munt, 12 yards. Adam Thielen, seven. KJ Osborne, three. Ben Ellefson, two. Campbell, it all came against Dalvin Cook. Three targets, three receptions, 18 yards. That is somewhat interesting if you look at it because none of these targets were running backs for Quay, but um, it was for Dalvin or uh, Devondre. So it, it kind of seems like they obviously had very different assignments. Devondre took Dalvin and Irv Smith. Quay Walker had wide receivers and then these two tight ends. I don't know if those guys were in the slot or what. Uh, Jair gave up one reception that was for seven yards to KJ Osborne. So pretty disappointing. There were no interceptions, no pass breakups in this entire game. Um, but, you know, Jair had a great day. One target, one reception, seven yards. Special teams, Mason Crosby, 60 overall grade because he didn't really have to do anything. He kicked one extra point and he made it. So that makes sense. 60.4. So there you go. 0.4 for an extra point, I guess. Punting, there was a 59.6 overall grade. I'll pull up the other punters for context because some of this is kind of hard to remember exactly what is considered good and what's not. Um, for reference, the highest punting grade was a 73.7. So we don't need to freak out about, I can't believe it wasn't higher. But he was still 23rd out of 29, so it wasn't massively impressive, according to PFF. His yards per attempt were the fourth lowest at 44.8 yards. As far as the longest kicks, his longest was 53 yards, which is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8th lowest. Kicks inside the 20, Pat O'Donnell uh, tied for fourth with three. Um, Basically, there were 10 punters that had that, but still. And then hang time um, was another big one. He ranked one, two, three, four, fifth lowest hang time at 4.23 seconds. The longest for the record was Tommy Townsend with 5.82. The second highest, by the way, J.K. Scott, 5.12. I'm just saying, y'all want to hate. And then finally, special teams, which graded second lowest in the NFL. Um, again, a lot of people seemed really happy with it, but... Um, the highest graded special teamer had a 67.9 overall grade. That kind of sucks. That was Razul Douglas. In fact, you can kind of see where, you know, again, talking about the starters coming in is going to make somewhat of an impact. Um, Razul Douglas and Eric Stokes are actually the two highest graded special teamers. Rudy Ford was the fourth highest, so kudos to him. Um, I think a lot of people were really pointing out how good he was doing. The fact that he has the fourth highest grade and had a missed tackle kind of tells me that he was actually really good. Because if you take away that missed tackle, I have to assume that that, because that's, that's a big knock for a guy that only played seven snaps on special teams. Um, but again, nobody's super great. You got Jawan Winfrey, Eric Stokes, and Razul Douglas are the only ones that are like 65 or higher. Guys that were bad, um, below like a 55. Jack Coco, unfortunately, as good as he is looking, there you go. Regular season starts and we got a problem. Jonathan Garvin, 51.7. Keyshawn Nixon, the guy from the Raiders. Devondre Campbell, 43.5. Chris Barnes had the lowest grade. Uh, again, a, a guy that I said is, is basically a pure special teamer in my mind. Um, really, really struggled. So you expect better from Devondre and Chris Barnes, and especially Keyshawn Nixon, who's only here to be a special teamer. But overall, the unit was just not... It wasn't that there was a lot of bad. It was really just there wasn't any good. 
There just wasn't. There really wasn't any super good anything. Um, as far as tackles, Tipa Naliai and Eric Stokes were the two guys that made tackles. Um, and then misses, Keyshawn Nixon, Tipa Naliai, and Rudy Ford each had a missed tackle on special teams, which again is another issue. Anyways, I got to leave it at that. It's getting, uh, it's getting a little bit late, and I still got to do packing it after dark. So you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll have more to look at tomorrow. And uh, I cannot wait, cannot wait to start talking about the Bears. Uh, they've been arguing with me all day about how great their receivers were. Um, not one of their receivers caught more than one pass. So I, I, I just, I, I gotta let it go, but I just can't. I just want, all I want is for you to say, I wish that it was better. You know what I mean? That's it. The most impressive receiver, I think, of the entire day was Equinemius, who caught one 18-yard touchdown pass. Pettis had a 51-yard touchdown on a blown play, so that probably isn't the most impressive. That's it. One reception for 18 yards and a touchdown. And they are just losing it over there. And, and their favorite narrative is they beat the team that knocked us out of the playoffs. That's it. That's what they think. That, that This is a Super Bowl caliber team that they just beat. That's incredible. Anyways, that'll be uh, on the docket very soon here. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.